doing this morning? Everybody, everybody awake and alert and enjoying the crisp, cool air. And you know, we had a great week this week. Um, had those cool, clear nights where you could go out and look at the stars, and uh, the um, the leaves have changed, and now they're falling, and so forth. And uh, I heard Pastor Stephen say this week that that only our Father is capable of making even the death of His creation beautiful, and it really is. Uh, really enjoy that. Uh, this is, you know, the two best reasons to live in Illinois are spring and fall, right? And um, you can have the rest of the year, as far as I'm concerned. If it's going to be hot, I want there to be ocean involved and sand. And if it's going to be cold, well, uh, you can have that. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I'm glad to be here with you again this morning. Uh, we're going to wrap up this morning our series on conflict and resolving conflict and engaging in peacemaking and how to do that uh, from God's perspective and how to, how to walk in a way that is godly in these very difficult areas of life. Sometimes, how do I solve a fight with somebody in a way that actually pleases God? Um, before I get there, if you're a visitor with us, uh, I just want to tell you, just kind of by way of explanation, that what we normally do is take time each week to go through a, a section of Scripture or two, and uh, we'll go through often a whole book of the Bible just a little bit at a time. And w- next week, we're going to start into that through the, the, uh, the little book in the Old Testament called Micah. And Micah is one of the books that talks about the coming of Jesus and how that fits into history and so forth. So we're going to look at that next week, a lot to learn out of Micah. Also, uh, if you are here this morning and you don't have a Bible of your very own and you would like one, there are some on that back table that are all wrapped up that are brand new, and you may have one as our gift to you. So uh, feel free to take the opportunity to do that. Um, uh, back to the uh, discussion here about conflict, the, the, the reality of it is um, solving it is the tough part, isn't it? It's pretty easy to get yourself into conflict, uh, but to get out of it and, and to get out of it with the relationship not only intact, but more healthy uh, at, the, at the end of it is really challenging. Uh, a lot of us probably could tell uh, stories of friends uh, that we have lost or jobs we no longer uh, work in or uh, even marriages that we have ended uh, because we could not solve conflict in a healthy way. And that is a, a really difficult thing. But we want to uh, look at this morning how to solve it and how to solve it in a way where we give grace to each other. You know, we talked, we sang earlier about free grace, that God's grace comes to us free, that it's not because of what we earn or how we behave or, or in fact, it's in spite of how we behave and who we are that God gives us his grace. And, and we want to, as a result, therefore, be gracious people to one another and to the people that we know and love and are in relationships with. So, 
I want to look this morning at how it all fits together. I'm going to give you seven steps, seven biblical steps to solving conflict. And the first one is examine. Examine. And what that means is this, is that, you know, um, uh, I, heard, I heard someone describe this way that he always thinks things through all the way before he goes off half-cocked, right? <laughs> um, and some of that maybe is an accurate description of you or maybe in your relationship with your spouse or a friend or, 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 or your boss or whatever. Uh, you tend to just, when, you're, when something upsets you, to just react immediately. And... And maybe that reaction wouldn't necessarily be the most appropriate way of responding. And what we want to do instead is just step back, take a breath, and then examine your own thoughts and your own feelings and your own actions to discover your part in bringing conflict about. And then to take ownership of that in other words, not to then start going, well, yeah, I did that, but da 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 here's the exculpatory circumstances which make them more at fault. Well, that all may be true, and in fact probably is, at least to a limited degree. Uh, but you've got to accept, as you examine, that you are often part of the problem. In fact, uh, where, you know, as my mom used to say when we were growing up as kids, you know, we'd be fighting and we'd be, and, you know, well, she, well, he, well, you know, back and forth. And, and, uh, and mom would always say, well, it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to fight also. And, and that's the reality that we all live with. And so somewhere in there, I'm making a contribution to the fact that there's a fight, right? And, and so, Step one would be to examine myself, first of all, and identify uh, my own part in that and bringing this about. And often, there, you know, maybe you don't think you're a big part, but often there's enough responsibility for a fight to go around. And very often, part of it stares you in the, mo in the mirror every morning. And so you need to uh, consider that first. So here's what Jesus says about it. If you got your uh, Bible, go to Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. This is a fantastic illustration that he gives. Uh, Jesus is a master teacher, and uh, he has illustrations that are vivid. Uh, this is what he says here, uh, Luke 6, 41 and 42. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your that is in your eye, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, can you just imagine if you actually saw that, what it would look like? You got one guy with a speck of sawdust right here, and one guy with this plank, you know, sticking out right here, right? Uh, and what he's saying is, uh, very often we can't see our own sin. 
It's obvious to everybody around us, but we ourselves can't see it many times. And often it's easier to want to go on sawdust inspection with everyone else when here we've got the, you know, the big log sticking out of our face. And, and so Jesus' admonition to us is this, is real simple, that you need to first take the lumber out of your own face. <laughs> and then you can deal with somebody else's sawdust. And to see it in that way is really, really helpful. Amen? That um, what our natural reaction is, is to see, well, they have a log and I have a speck. And when it comes to measuring sin, theirs is humongous and mine is minuscule. But Jesus says, no, no, you need to look at it in the opposite way. You need to see your sin first and most and be most concerned about resolving that with yourself first. And then, he says, you know, after you have the logectomy, uh, then you can see again and you can see clearly. And that leads us to uh, step two. And step two is this word. This is an old word, but it's a good one. The word is forbear. F-O-R-B-E-A-R. Forbear. And what it means is to overlook and to be patient with minor stuff. Overlook and to be patient with minor stuff. And if you got your Bible, uh, turn back to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs has got a lot of good stuff. If you want to, uh, if you want to know, you know, what would be a good place to read uh, and learn some things about how to live in a wise and God-honoring way, Proverbs is your book. It's even got 31 chapters for the 31 days of the month. I mean, it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, ideal for a lot of us. Proverbs chapter 19. Find it here. Still in Psalms. All right. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. It says this. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. In other words, you're not to be a hypercritical person. You're not to be uh, overly sensitive. When I had a... You know, when I was a kid, my mom thought it would be fun to get us one of those little ferns. You know, they, they call them a sensitive plant or, a t you know, a ticklish plant or whatever. And if you touch them just a little bit, those leaves will slam shut, okay? And it's so cool. And we, want, we played with that thing. We played with it until we killed it. <laughs> we did. We killed it. Uh, we killed that fern. It was terrible. But your mom was like, what did you do? Well, in two days, we entertained ourselves by touching that plant until the leaves fell off. <laughs> okay. But in any case, uh, 
Some people are like that plant where anything you say or do to them, if they don't perceive it in the right way, they're just reacting. And you're like, geez, don't be so sensitive, right? It is a Christian virtue to be slow to anger, to be patient with people, and to realize that not everything is a federal case. Amen? And not to make a big deal out of that. And in fact, you know, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes the best, right? That we don't assume that everybody is out to get us. Or that this person obviously meant to hurt me. We forbear. We put up with some things. If you're going to be successfully married, if you're going to successfully work at a job and not feel like every day is back to the salt mine after my beating, you know, I mean, you, you, you want to enjoy this experience. You want to actually enjoy this experience and not make it feel like, oh my gosh, I woke up and I'm still married to him. I woke up and I'm still married to her. I woke up and I still have that job with that guy that I can't stand. You know, I, you need to be able to deal with some quirks and some idiosyncrasies and some things that are not going to be any different. I, in fact, I tell, I tell couples in, in premarital counseling with me, I, I tell them to actually write down all the things about their potential spouse that bug them. And then to ask themselves this question, if everything on this list never changes or gets worse, do you still want to be married? Because the reality of it is, is after you get married, most of that stuff does not change. And it will feel like it all got worse because now you have, you're 10 years in and you're still dealing with that. Can't you ever put your socks in the hamper? You know, I mean, whatever it is, right? Okay. I mean, whatever the deal is, whatever the thing is, why do you still squeeze the toothpaste in the middle? You know, um, get your own tube of toothpaste. They're like $2, you know. Uh, don't have a coronary over this. Forbear. Put up with some minor stuff. Don't be overly sensitive. Don't be reacting every time something happens because it's not all intended to hurt you. Amen? In fact, most of the time when people hurt your feelings, they don't realize they're doing it. So forbear. Chill out a little bit. All right? Just relax. Not everybody is after you, right? Uh, people are human, and a lot of things that happen are not that big a deal. So don't make a big deal out of everything. However, let's assume you've worked through these first two steps. I've looked at myself, and I've seen my own contribution, and I've examined to see where I might be in sin, and I've dealt with that. Um, and then I've realized, okay, now this really truly is a big deal. This is not a case of, you know, one more sock on the floor. This is not a case of, well, you know, my boss didn't send me a birthday card or whatever. Okay, this is a big deal. And it's a big enough deal that you need to have a conversation. 
Well, that's the next step, to go. Go is step number three. Uh, After you've dealt with any sin on your part, so that you can deal gently and humbly with the other person, then you need to go to them, and you need to talk. And by the way, here's a practical question to ask yourself on whether or not you should go and try and solve this. Do I want, ask yourself this question, do I want to go talk to someone else about what has happened? Because if the answer to that question is yes, then the person that you need to talk to is the person with whom you're in conflict. That's not what many of us want to do. We want to go talk to someone other than them about the issue, right? Can you believe what she just did to me? Can you believe what he said? Right? And we start into that, okay? If you are tempted to go and do that, the person you need to go and do that with is the person who offended you or sinned against you. Not some, you know, not 55 other people. And on top of that, you need to not let any grass grow under your feet. You need to not have it be, you know, six months later. Or a year later. Or whatever. You know, one of, the, one of the rules that Karen and I have, this is kind of the rules of engagement at our house. Um, one of the rules that we have is you can't bring it up if, it's, if, it's, uh, if you didn't bring it up when it happened. Okay, in other words, you don't let a week go by and then go, hey, remember last week? No, I don't remember last week. I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. What do you mean do I remember last week? Um... You can't do that to people. You put people in a bad spot. You go, well, why didn't you talk to me about it then? You've got to go immediately. You can't go six months or six years or after we've already gotten the relationship distance built. Don't do that. Go immediately. Go quickly. And resolve the issue at hand. And do not involve anyone else. Do not involve anyone else. And also, word of encouragement, okay, on this, don't come talk to me. I'm someone else, okay? Don't talk to the elders about it. Don't say, well, I just really needed advice, okay? You don't need advice. You don't need to find out what God's will is on this. He's made it very, very clear, okay? In fact, let me show you where he's made it clear, all right? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, okay? This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, famous passage. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. He says, Jesus is what Jesus says. He says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. 
You know what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying that before you go to worship, or even if you're there and you realize that you're in conflict with somebody, you need to go then. And in fact, it's so important that you can, if you're in the middle of offering a gift in the middle of worship, that it's, uh, you, and you realize, you know what, I'm still in conflict with so-and-so, uh, you need to go. You need to leave church and go solve it with that person, then come back. It's, it's more important to God that we be right with one another so that we can be right with Him than that we pretend like we are everything is right in my relationship with God while this over here with someone else is still going on. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John. He says, No one can claim, I love God, if he does not love his brother. And he says this also. He says, If anyone does not love his brother whom he has seen, then he does not love God whom he has not seen. Again, abundantly clear what we're supposed to do. As soon as you become aware that of both the offense and that it's a big enough issue that you need to go and talk to this person, and you need to go and talk to this person. Again, don't call me on the phone and ask for advice. I'm going to point you to this passage, and I'm going to say, why are you talking to me? I'm not involved. Go talk to them. Okay? That is the next step. So, next step here. Best time to be reconciled is always now. So next step is this. This is the step everybody hates and everybody finds every way possible to avoid doing, but is nevertheless biblical. Step number four is confront. And what that means is that we, after we arrive to the place where we're meeting the person, that we lovingly talk to them about the issue. And we do that privately first, and then if necessary, in other words, if we can't resolve it just between the two of us, we involve some witnesses, some other people. But this is the step that lots of people want to get out of order. What they want to do is go and recruit everybody to their side first, and then go and talk. Well, see... I talked to my mother, and I talked to the pastor, and I talked to uh, three of the elders and my best friend, and we all agree you're wrong. <laughs> okay, no, that's not what Jesus tells us to do, okay? Uh, let's look at what he does tell us to do, all right? It's uh, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, those of you who are familiar with this topic, knew that eventually I had to get here. And so we've arrived. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the part we have trouble with. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, there's a lot there. I could spend a sermon on those five verses. Actually, I could probably spend two or three. But I'm not going to do that. I just want to point out a few things here in this text. Uh, Number one, note the context before and after. Look at your Bible. Um, Context immediately before is the parable of the lost sheep. And what he's saying is the good shepherd goes out and he goes after the wandering sheep. Even if, he, if he's got a, a flock of a hundred sheep and he, one, of the, one of them wanders off, he doesn't think to himself, hmm, well, I got 99 others. Uh, I'll leave that one to the wolves. Uh, he doesn't do that. Why? Because every one of his sheep matters. And the reality of it is, is that how that applies then in, in, conf- in confrontation and conflict is that biblically it's not a choice between uh, resolving this and letting some relational distance grow. Well, they wandered off. Write them off. Pick them off your Facebook friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> defriend. You know, whatever. Block their post. You know, whatever it is, okay? Uh, you don't do that, okay? Why? Because the good shepherd goes after the sheep. You pursue the wanderer. Even if they've wandered off into serious sin, if you're really a friend, you pursue that person. That's the immediately before. Immediately after is the parable of the unforgiving servant that we looked at last week. uh, Where the king forgives this massive debt of this guy, and then he turns around and he starts beating and abusing his fellow servant over a few bucks. And Jesus says, look, God has forgiven you this massive thing, and you have therefore no right not to forgive other people lesser things that they have done against you. That's the point, right? And so you've got both of these on bookends of this instruction. And the reason that they're there is that on the one hand, Jesus points out the value of going after that wandering person. And on the other, he's saying, and by the way, when you catch up to them, you need to forgive. You need to forgive like Jesus forgives you and forgives me. So there's that. Uh, And then in addition to that, um, he gives some very clear steps to follow. And, and he's, he's saying, look, the goal of this whole process, as you look at it in context, what he's saying is the goal of this whole process is reconciliation and restoration of relationship and holiness achieved in a loving way. And the goal is not punishing this person. That's not ever the objective. The objective is that they would, you would be reconciled and at peace 
But nevertheless, there are some steps to follow. Uh, so you start first, verse 15, by yourself. You don't talk about it with anyone else. And the reason is, is that you make it exponentially harder as soon as you involve other people. Because what the natural reaction of somebody who's in conflict, when they find out that you have already talked to your mom, your coworker, your friend, your whoever, about this is to go, well, I'm glad I did it now because you're a jerk and you deserve it, right? It makes it harder to solve when you involve other people because now you've drugged their name through the mud. So you go, just the two of you, to start with. And then, if you have wrestled around with it and you still can't solve it, and by the way, this assumes that on both sides there's a desire to actually solve this thing, not to just keep fighting. And in, in Christian terms, there's no option but to not, uh, but to not be uh, reconciled, okay? You have to be reconciled. Uh, you don't have a, there's no like other choice where God says, you know, well, unless the person is really difficult and really a pain in the neck, and then you can just be, be unreconciled and at war the rest of your life. That's perfectly okay. I've looked in my Bible, that's not in there. But this is where it says, go and try and be reconciled with your brother, because the goal is to, verse 16, when, or verse, end of verse 15, uh, gain your brother. To restore that relationship that was broken or fractured. And then, and that'll solve it in about 90% of the cases, because most of the time, people have no idea. You ever get in a relationship with somebody, and they do this? Well, you know what you did. No, I don't. Otherwise, I wouldn't be asking. Right? I'm not a mind reader. But I can tell that you're upset with me. I just don't know about what. And you've got to be clear with me. Otherwise, I, I can't apologize for what I don't know that I've done. Um, but in 90% 90, 90 of the cases, if you actually take steps to, to lovingly, after you've dealt with your own stuff, go talk to the person, they'll be like, oh, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. The other 10% of the cases, well, maybe you need to get somebody else involved. And so this is when you get me on the phone, or you call one of the elders, or you call a deacon, or a deaconess, or a trusted friend that you can trust, not to just take your side, you don't want that. You don't want an ally, you want a mediator to to come into that conversation with you and say, okay, this is, where, this is the role that if you're having struggles in your marriage that a good counselor plays. To say, well, let's talk it all out and then let's solve it together, the three of us. And that's step two. So, so that, you know, you go, you take, you take a, one witness or, or at a maximum two so that everybody is clear on what's going on. 
And then if you still can't solve it, well, then it needs to go out a little wider to the, to the church body as a whole. Now, again, we're talking about, talking about serious issue. We're not talking about, well, he cut in front of me at the potluck. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about serious issue. Okay, then it needs maybe the involvement of the, of the remainder of the church body. And if at that, po- at that point the sinning person or people do not repent, then Jesus says, at that point, treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. In other words, as if they were unbelievers. As if they were unbelievers. Because... One of the ways that you can tell whether or not someone is a believer in Jesus is whether or not, when they are confronted with their sin, whether or not they repent. Because because repentance is what characterizes God's people. And where there is no repentance, it may be because there is no truly regenerated heart to bring it about. Because repentance is a work that comes through the Holy Spirit being at work in that person's life. And so at that point, in the event of serious issues that need the entire church's involvement, then you have to, at that point, say, I don't think this person is a believer. And if they're um, part of the church, if it's a serious enough issue, like a 1 Corinthians 5 type thing, they have to be put out of the fellowship. And you don't do that lightly, and you don't get in a hurry to do that. But at the same time, that's what Jesus tells us to do. Because Christian people are to be distinct from the world. And where they're not, um, there's a discipline process that goes along with that too. That is meant for their healing, that is meant for their restoration. You know, that guy in 1 Corinthians 5, um, he gets restored in 2 Corinthians because he repented. He demonstrated that he was a true child of God. Even though he was in serious sin, he repents and he goes home. Now, uh, when you're confronted... Here's uh, step five. The godly thing to do is confess. Uh, Confession is simple to define, but it's very hard to do apart from the Holy Spirit. And here's what it means. It means to humbly admit sin. Are you ready? Here's the tough part. Without qualification, condition, excuse, or weasel words. Let me tell you what some of those are. It, it, this, is, this, is, this is what it means, okay? It means to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's what confession is. It's to flee from attempts to do this. I was wrong in what I did, comma. However, <laughs> but, and... Here's all the explanation as to why what I did was okay. What they say is, is that everything after the comma negates everything before. 
And sometimes people will, will want to say, will want to use some kind of weaselly terminology. They'll want to say something like, you know, that, remember that thing I did? Yeah, I'm really sorry. Oh, you mean when you lied to me? Yes, that. It's important to actually describe what you did that was wrong. If you're guilty of sin, to actually describe it as the Bible does. You know, as an example, you know, we have, the, we have a weasel word that we use about families where there's abuse or where there's uh, addictions that run rampant in the home and so forth. We call those, quote, dysfunctional families, right? They're not dysfunctional. They're sinful. There's evil in that home, is what the Bible says. And yet we want to soften it down and use some kind of a euphemism. And we do the same thing sometimes when it comes to us and our own stuff. And we don't want to say wrong. We want to say I was tired, I was hormonal, I was uh, hungry, I was whatever. Well, all that may have been true. But you, what you also were was sinning. And you need to say so. Uh, George MacDonald, the Scottish novelist, uh, said this. He said, our sins are crimes that will hunt us either to the bosom of God or to the pit of hell. And it is one of the poorest of human weaknesses that a man is ashamed of saying he is wrong instead of being so ashamed of having done wrong that he cannot rest until he has said so. The shame cleaves fast until confession removes it. And he's exactly right. That most of us are not as bothered by the fact that we sin as by the fact that we have to admit it. We know that we sin, but we don't want to have anybody have to actually cop to it. And so we 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 try to work our way around it. But there's great power in actually admitting to what we've done, confessing, and repenting. Uh, Apostle James, Jesus' brother, said, said it better than Pastor McDonald. He said, James 5.16, he said, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power while it is working. In other words, the idea is that you know our sin almost always takes place in, the, in some kind of a relational context, you know, with other people or with God. And w- there's great power in confession with one another, and saying to your spouse, "Baby, I was wrong." in X and X and X that I did, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There's huge spiritual power in admitting out loud what we've done and praying then together with that person and being healed of that thing. Next step, if you're the offended party, is forgive. Forgive means to release those who have wronged you or hurt you from anger and bitterness and from harboring that thing. 
It means to refuse to hold past hurts against people. A lot of us like to do that. We like to remember and nurse and, and keep a list of all the things that person has done. But I want you to, to turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Got just a couple of more verses here we're going to look at. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. This is what Paul says here, that part of putting on the new self, in other words, part of what it means to be a Christian is to live as Jesus calls us to live. And and he gives a, a description here. He says this is like putting on different clothes in, a, some, in some sense. Verse 12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? Any of these characteristics sound like that guy? No, not so much. The idea is is that we release each other. Or as 1 Corinthians 13 has it, love keeps no record of wrongs suffered. You don't keep a tab on your relationships. You know, uh, one guy said that when he fights with his wife, she gets historical. And you say, uh, do you mean hysterical? No, I mean historical. She says, back in 1989, on December the 23rd, you said, right? Don't do that. Unless you want to totally destroy the relationship and then go right ahead. Don't keep a record of wrong. Forgive. Don't hold it. Don't continually hold that against that person. Forgive. That's how God forgives us. When we confess, He forgives and He removes it from us. He no longer counts it against us. Last thing, step seven restitution. Restitution. It is making amends, it is seeking to compensate fairly. Or repay those you have hurt or offended. Now, you don't totally even the scales ever, really. Forgiveness is just that. It's forgiveness. But, if you are the sinning person, part of repentance means making an effort to change the behavior that led to this incident. And if you walk through all these steps with, with somebody that you're in conflict with and it comes to this point where they're actually making restitution, this is the goal. This is the, 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 the part of the reason God gives us all this stuff. All these instructions on how to do this. 
because we don't know how to do this by ourselves. Amen? And, and we don't know what to do when we get in a fight with somebody. And he says, okay, but eventually you need to make restitution. This is what Proverbs 14 verse 9 says. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Uh, Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. In both cases, the idea is, is that we stop doing what we were doing and we start doing something else. And part of our repentance is turning away from whatever it was and putting on a different kind of behavior. Putting that, making a spirit-empowered, gospel-fueled effort to put that particular sin to death. And a part of that involves seeking to make amends for the harm that we've caused that person or those people or that group or whatever it is that we Try to solve it in our own life and with those folks. So, seven steps. Examine yourself to see where you may have caused or contributed to the conflict. Forbear and overlook minor offenses. Uh, Go and seek out the person so you can start reconciling. Confront in a loving way. And with witnesses, if necessary. Having peace and healing, not punishment as the goal. And then confess without any double speak or excuses or evasions or or defensiveness or ands, buts and howevers. Put periods at the end of some of those sentences. Forgive just as God forgave you. And then make restitution if you're the sinning party. Do what you can to change. Where this happens, by the way, there's a word for this. It's a good word called holiness. You ever wonder, why did God assemble all of us different people in a church? Why did he put me in a marriage with my spouse because she is or he is so different from me? Why did he give me those children? You know, uh, why did he give me that boss? You know, whatever the situation is, okay? Why did, he, why did God put me in relationships like this? You know what it is? I'm convinced this is, this is the real strategy that God has on this. He puts us in relationship with other people because eventually as we are kind of rubbing up against each other, we round off the corners and the sharp places, and the pointy edges on our life. And we start to look more like Jesus. That's the point. That's the goal. And we short-circuit that when we just say, well, I'm not solving that one. Write them off. The goal is reconciliation and the pursuit of holiness in that relationship. So, Let's do that together. Let's pray and ask God to help us, give us grace. God, our Heavenly Father, we know that apart from your grace and mercy, that all of us would be, as the Scripture says, alienated from you and enemies of God. And Father, it is because you have gone the extra mile to 
to make peace between us and you, that you now give us the Holy Spirit to help us to make peace between uh, one another. And Father, we thank you for your magnificent grace demonstrated to us in the cross and daily ever since we came to Christ. And Father, we pray that we might extend grace to one another, that we might be people characterized by peace and by loving relationships and by uh, fights that lead to reconciliation and healing and forgiveness, not distance and anger and bitterness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.